Welcome to Misinformational, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's hurting America and democracy. Now, here she is, Misinformational. Everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Misinformational. I am Rebecca Jones, and I am here with, of course, the Dr. Cindy Banyai. Hello, happy. How are you doing, Cindy? Yeah, I'm good. It's a beautiful day in Florida. We have the polluted waters and the fascists <laughs> for governor. Just another day in paradise. Yeah, I know. I sometimes I hate to have to be so Florida centric, but there's a lot that goes on in Florida and it manages okay. not to always break through to the mainstream conversation nationally. And it's very important that it does. So this will be, except for the yeah. balloon, the damn balloon, a very hey, Florida centric. Been here already. Huh? Apparently there's been balloons over Florida before too. So we just been didn't care. There's balloons everywhere. I'm going to start off with some really great news, a major victory, not just for me personally, but for the entire media accountability front is that Mark Caputo, who we've mentioned many times here as one of the biggest disinformation agents who's planted false stories on behalf of DeSantis and Gates for years now was fired finally from NBC after about a year of being there. Now, I personally had filed several ethics complaints against him. He was reprimanded by the Board of Ethics at NBC. His assignments were scaled back periodically for disobeying their requests. And I guess the straw that broke the camel's back was this very grotesque series of posts that he made, basically gloating about how he was evicting one of his tenants because he owns property in like the Florida Keys, which is totally a normal thing that a journalist, a paid crappy journalist would do is have tons of property that they can run out. Sure, sure. Every journalist I know is just flooded with cash. Yes. And he was bragging about evicting this guy. And that was just the straw that broke the camel's back. They had been on the verge of wanting to fire him for months. Finally, he was fired. And I had to rejoice. Um... Because he's a bad guy. He's a bad journalist, if you could even and, call him that. And let's remind everybody why he is a bad guy. Because not only has he, you said, planted these stories, but he's one of the ones that you were saying was part of this kind of paid operation and the had relations to the ghost, ghost candidate, candidate scheme. Yeah. yeah. So one of the um, major outlets that was involved with the ghost candidate scheme with, if you're not familiar, in 2020, there were several ghost candidates who were paid to put their names on the ballot, but they didn't run. In one case, they had the same name as the person who was running. The incumbent um, Democrat. Yes. And which that was successful. It was successful yep. in defeating the incumbent because they ran somebody with the exact same name. And uh, there were a lot of media outlets that were basically a part of this operation. The Capitalists, which is one of these seemingly legitimate publications, there's a lot of these online, that if the Capitalist sounds official, you go to its website and it's, oh, it has new stuff but it is really just a front for disseminating disinformation for the alt-right. There's a bunch of those out there. The Alachua Chronicle is one of them. They're all over the place. But the guy who ran it, Burgess, he started negotiating a deal with these political packs to start their own sham, basically, news outlet in Florida. And three of the people that he had already spoken to and were willing to do it, this is create a whole sham news agency they called it ghost operations. It was actually their own term. The first one was Mark Caputo. He was in salary negotiations to run up this ghost operations to plant stories 
specifically to damage Democrats and help Republicans. These were revealed in emails that were published by a watchdog group from Alabama. And yet he seemed to survive that when all of that news came out. And despite three different reprimands for misrepresenting cases in my whistleblower case because he falsely planted a story in April of 2022 saying it was dismissed when it was not. And then harassing and stalking me and showing up virtually to all of my things after they basically told him you need to stop talking about her even on Twitter. And there were multiple other reports of ethical violations that were filed by people not associated with me whatsoever. And then finally he made a public ass of himself and they fired him. So hmm. it's a great day for journalism accountability. A lot of it people is. at NBC, I have a lot of friends there, had no idea why he was ever brought on in the first place. Some of them thought that he was he, at this nexus of Florida politics, not realizing he was a conservative shill. And when I told right. them that, they were like, are you sure? And I was like, I started sending them links. They went, holy shit. So, yeah, sorry. We curse sometimes on the show. That's all right. Um, we have the little E next to us. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we really? We do. Oh, I'm sorry. Get naughty. <laughs> Maybe we should bleep it out for the non-explained <laughs> version. But anyways, this guy has been fired now from several jobs. He was fired from the Miami Herald for ethical violations. He was formerly a blogger at Politico, just basically doing DeSantis and Gates grunt work. He's the one who planted the story in October of last year, right before the election, saying that the DOJ was not going to indict Matt Gates, even after mm -hmm. the DOJ had issued a statement saying they haven't made a decision about that. But of course, he got it picked up and got it trending nationally yeah. yep. to help Matt Gates, who he's very close with and talks to, according to someone in that office that I know all the time. So good riddance. I'm sure that he'll pick himself up somewhere at a Florida publication, or maybe he'll just go work for DeSantis. Who the fuck knows? But he's a bad guy. He's out. He got fired. He got his due. That's and great. and that's that is great. That is great. This is an, also an opportunity I would love for you to tell us, like, why is this so important? Why is this media accountability important? Why is this transparency important? And I say this because I think right now the lines are so blurred between opinion and the propaganda. So help us out here. Yeah, one of the issues that was revealed in the 2020 ghost candidate scheme was that there are reporters who are already embedded in mainstream press who are getting paid to plant stories on top of whatever their publication is paying them. One of the people was at Florida Politics and his response to this, this is his official response, was that he was doing what he defines as combination journalism, where he gets paid to write stories that benefit people and then he writes them, which he thinks is combination journalism, which, but in reality, that's just PR for a company or an organization or an individual. He, of course, runs Florida Politics, which is another one of these places you have to be incredibly important about. I do know writers there who are legitimate, who are hardworking, who believe in what they're doing. And then, of course, the person who runs it is the opposite of that. Now, the ghost candidate scheme also revealed that these people are already at a number of Gannett publications across the state, mm -hmm. which I believe owns upwards of 50 publications, mostly local newspapers. So like the Pensacola News Journal and the Fort Myers Press and right. basically all of your USA Today affiliate papers in the state of Florida. And that's extremely problematic because that means that the stories that are being told and the way that they're being told are being picked by people who are paid to pick certain stories. And this is all being run by a conservative network. And that's horrible for journalism. There's a lot of mistrust in journalism and it's because of people like Burgess, because of people like Caputo, who go out there and do the work for political bodies and make it impossible to trust anybody. And ridding media of those people 
is the best way to restore trust. It's the best way to make sure that accurate and fair reporting is being done. There are still plenty of people like that need to go. Jake Tapper is one of them. But yeah, it's a good thing for NBC to finally have been like, you know what? We've had nothing but problems with this guy since we brought him mm -hmm. on and been a year. We're done. You're fired. Good for them because sometimes they're not willing to do that. But yeah, it's very important for accountability to see yeah, that if someone is a bad guy and they cross a line, the media agency, instead of digging in and defending that person, will fire them for doing so. Should mm -hmm. have been done sooner, but and I think that this is also a good opportunity to point out the difference between like NBC and their news affiliates and Florida Politics. Florida Politics is an independent news agency, which can provide some very good information. And like you said, some of the people that work there, some of the reporters and journalists are, they do the best that they can. But it is widely known that the owner and editor, I'm going to say his name, Peter Sorsich, is a Republican. Okay. He's, he tries to portray himself as a moderate Republican, but he's very open about that. He's very open about allowing and inviting Republicans to write ostensibly op-eds that he publishes as regular articles. I know because my opponent did it. They do have some really good insight on, on Tallahassee, on the Capitol here in Florida. And they're widely seen as the most, I don't know, the, just like the only one that's really in-depth covering Florida politics. But MSNBC, NBC, those bigger agencies, they are not affiliated in the same way. They mm. actually, they, there are codes of conduct that journalists who are trying to be unbiased hold themselves to you generally it's like you can't come out and say i'm i support xyz candidates i i contribute you they won't even contribute a lot of times in any way shape or form to political candidates or parties so that they don't give that in, impression that they're politically biased but it's never been that way with florida politics i think it's important for people to realize that yeah. And it's the combination journalism comment was, I don't know how they haven't gone bankrupt since then. They basically say they're a pay for play. You give us money, we'll write stories yeah. for you. 100%. And that's not play. journalism. Like I said, that's PR. You're running PR, which is fine. You're allowed to be a PR agency. Right. Just don't try to pass yourself off as unbiased oh. journalists. Now, there's I was gonna say Renzo Downey a lot, okay. who's at Florida Politics. And I've always seen him as fair. He does the research. I haven't followed up with him in a while, so I'm assuming these things are still going on. But other than Peter Scorsius, sure. that's why I didn't say his name, because I didn't know how to say Because of all the sure tag, tag. Who is uh, taking He'd love to hear from me. He loves it when to, I... According to Burgess in the emails that released, Peter takes money from the Coke Industries to uh, do his reporting as combination yeah. journalism, as he called it. And yeah. that... At least he didn't try to lie. It's documented, so it's not like he could have, but Caputo lied about it. And so I, mean, I could have gone one way or the other. And apparently the two hate each other. I have no idea. This is why but. I'm saying like there's all these lines are blurred too. So there's another one, an upstart one that's based down here in Southwest Florida. You might've seen Florida Voice, FL Voice News or whatever. I think I've seen it pop up. Yep. You might've seen it pop up. His one time claim to fame, Donald Trump retweeted him or whatever, but he's run by this, <laughs> it's run by this fellow who was basically run out of his position as an actual journalist. Now, he tells it differently, of course, that he left because he's a conservative and there's this left-leaning bias, blah, blah, blah. It's not what I've heard from the inside, but I'll protect myself here because every time I talk about him, he threatens to sue me. His name is Brendan Leslie, and he Facebooked his way 
through the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Oh. So, yeah. And so I have heard that, and you can see that he ab- absolutely is well connected with very extreme candidates here in Southwest Florida. But people, there was a whole write-up about him, and I might have been in Florida politics. All these little groups might be fighting with each other over territory, but how that there were some financing potentially coming from Ron DeSantis. Now, that have not been verified, but it does seem to fit with the theme that anybody can start these news networks, call themselves that, especially on the right, apparently, if they're really into this. (coughs) And oh, bless you. And then they get these, they have essentially patrons, right? Patrons that pay them to put out the content that's favorable to them. And the more that we talk about it, the more people I think will understand because some of themselves are presenting themselves as independent brands without any contextualization of what they're trying to do. Scraping by and no, you're not. One of the most notorious ones, aside from Florida politics, which is now at least open about it, is the Alachua Chronicle. It's run by this batshit crazy woman who once broke into government facilities to illegally review death certificates for COVID that were not publicly available and then created a conspiracy theory that we were misattributing deaths from COVID to other causes and therefore the deaths were overblown. And this was obviously a conspiracy that picked up not just across the state of Florida, but nationally. And this was the source of one of these things. I forget her name. It's like Jennifer something. But yeah, broke into a government facility, illegally accessed death certificates. And of course, DeSantis's camp was like, we didn't let her in. We have no idea how she got in, but runs a fake news website called the Alachua Chronicles. So Getting off of the journalism and disinformation agents, we are down one disinformation agent, which is great. That one that you were talking about, though, that was illegal, right? Like, you can't say, hey, I'm a journalist, so I'm going to break into a place to find out, and then it's okay. Journalists were not allowed to access those records either. According to DeSantis's administration, they have no idea how she got in and how she accessed these records, but we're concerned with her findings, is what they said. Now, mm-hmm. the time that she did that, I had access to every death certificate that she did. And that was false. It was the root. So if you're wondering where that whole, oh, they're saying car accidents or COVID, that's where that conspiracy theory started was with this alternative website. Now, she's partnered with Rational Ground, which is a much higher kind of level disinformation news site that's very well funded and organized. And so that's who pays her to do that. Rational Mm -hmm. Ground also hired as or featured rather, I guess I can't say that they were hired full-time, but featured articles by other COVID disinformation agents from, I think it was Florida International University or Florida Atlantic, Mm -hmm. one of those, a guy named Rebel Cole and one of his grad students who repeatedly published COVID disinformation. Mm -hmm. Rebel Cole flat out sexually harassed me on Twitter all the time. He eventually got permanently banned. Yeah, we're talking bully side. Oh, gee, I sure hope she doesn't hurt herself kind of stuff. Like it started to get It was one of my first interactions with someone obsessed with me on social media that was deranged. And for that to be your first experience ever to me, well, probably I'll never forget it. Now it's just commonplace. I've got like a whole army of them, but that was my first introduction. And when I complained to the university, filed a police report, the university basically just covered for them because they're an alt-right university, but whatever. So we got to get to the balloon. All right. (laughs) Balloon, 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 balloon. Our misinfo, disinfo story, the balloon, which is funny because the story 
came and went within the period between the last two episodes. Like a balloon floating through the air. It oh God, Marjorie Taylor Greene even made this ridiculous reference to the 99 balloons, which is a story about how children release these balloons and then the adults freak out and end up causing international nuclear war because they think all the balloons are spy balloons. But she used it in reference to this balloon. It was like, oh God, stop making literary references that you do not understand, woman, please. Because you're doing the thing the book is warning people not to do. But so yes, we had a balloon. There's a balloon in the stratosphere, which for all my trolls is in fact inside the atmosphere, but it's the layer right above the troposphere where we live. It's very high up. Let's just think of it as that way. You know how when you like see the diagrams and oh, at Mount Everest, there's 6.5% oxygen level. That's still in the troposphere. You go way up in the stratosphere to, and I'll use feet here because this is a Florida audience mostly instead of meters, but you go to 60,000 to 100,000 feet and the oxygen level eventually starts to feed down to almost zero. So there's no oxygen there. And which is one of the reasons it's really important to remember when people were like, shoot it. Do you know what you need to create a blast a fire? What happens if you smother a fire and you deprive it of oxygen? It can't burn. You need oxygen to burn. So that was part of the fun. We also do not have jets or drones that are capable of flying at 100,000 feet. We had to wait until the balloon started to slowly decline in altitude and then had to send our most high altitude jet that we had. And it still could not reach the level of altitude where the balloon was to shoot a specialized missile at the balloon, which I got to give credit to whoever was behind the modeling and the shot that was fired for getting it, because you're talking about something that's a couple bus sizes, maybe in the sky that is way above where you're at and hitting it. They got it. Great job, team. Good job. Yay. Um, hey, America. Yeah, I know. Go America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that. The thing that uh, and there's now disinformation stories, intentional conspiracy theories about how it was a distribution machine for bioweapons, which is not true. Again, I wish people would understand atmosphere. And I think I was disappointed in my fellow like climate and atmospheric science for not seizing this opportunity to educate people about the stratosphere. But I, yeah, I it's not a bioweapon so disbursement. It's Marjorie Taylor Green. All these folks are like, oh, just let's, we got a gun, let's shoot it. It's a thing about a plane. At least like so, most people... They've been on a plane, right? What is that's 30,000 feet at the cruising altitude, right? That's what they say and all this other jazz. So it's you're going to sit here on the ground and like shoot your pistol at a plane? I don't know. Let the gravity figure out that part. <laughs> Does that mean? It's like people shooting at like a hurricane. Didn't they start doing that because they were going to try to steer the hurricane off course? Yeah. and it, Or putting a bomb into a, a nuclear bomb into a hurricane. Just to see that what happens. Trump. I think the shooting at the hurricane sounds like something would happen here in Florida. Yeah, I think we did do that. I think there were actual people who did that. Yeah. Let me, we're going to include in this kind of a diagram of where things are in the stratosphere and the um, troposphere. Just to help as a visual aid, when we talk about everything I have is a course in meters and kilometers, so it's hard, but it's okay. we it's do like not have biplanes or drones that can go that high because without <laughs> oxygen, a plane cannot make fire to propel itself forward. This is very important. But We live here. Planes <laughs> go here, right? Clouds are up in here above that. And then like Jesus is up here, I think, right? 
So if we just put that, it's like almost to Jesus. And that's where the balloon was. So we can't shoot it because we might shoot Jesus. I didn't even want to get started in trying to explain to people that there's also a, meso a mesosphere and a thermosphere and an exosphere that are all part of the atmosphere because... I actually got some ridiculous comments about telling people about the stratosphere. They're like, oh, the balloon's not in the stratosphere. It's in the atmosphere. Read a book. I was like, God, I guess I should just burn my degrees in this specific field of science then because it's not in the stratosphere. It's in the atmosphere. Thanks. At any rate, one of the things that bothered me while this was happening was elected officials, people in Congress, having these public Twitter like bitch fits. I don't, I really don't know what else to call it. It reminded me of people of the thing of nuke the hurricane or whatever. It was that ridiculous saying, just shoot it, just shoot it. I was like, do you really have no foundational understanding of altitude at all? I know Matt Gates, and I don't think Ted Cruz ever served in the military. None of these people are military people. So maybe they had no reason to understand things like altitude, but you can't shoot it. That was the first thing is you can't just go shoot it. Especially if you're sitting in your backyard with an AR-15, you're not going to shoot it. You're more likely to accidentally kill somebody else or hit something else than you are to ever shoot anywhere. That's, what is alt what is the altitude, or sorry, elevation of Everest? It's 23,000 feet, I think, or something like that. So if you yeah. think that on the bottom of the ground that you could shoot somebody on the top of Everest, then you're delusional to begin with. But we're talking about twice at least twice that high up in the air you could shoot this out this tiny little object respective of things in the sky it was ridiculous but the thing that was troublesome were people like ted cruz and matt gates and even my favorite tennessee redneck loving ufo embracing tim burchett were that they were acting like the biden administration was failing on a national security level by not immediately shooting it and I had this temptation. I wanted to be like, could you just shut the fuck up? Maybe you don't know or you're not privy to the information of what the military is doing to handle this situation. But how about you show some faith that our military intelligence community can handle this situation without informing you on Twitter of every single thing that they're doing as it happens? Because that might actually compromise national security. Did you, did that ever comp, like pass through your, the dead space between your ears that they have a plan? And that by announcing this plan on Twitter, just so that they can prove you wrong, would be petty and a risk to national security, which is exactly what was happening. Turns out they immediately blocked all signal capability for it to send any information back to whoever was receiving it, which is assumed the Chinese state government. They waited until an area because the debris radius was 12 miles, which is a pretty large debris radius for an object falling from that altitude. We should make our word of the week altitude because that seems to be relevant. They waited until it was not over a population center and that it was over water so that they could recover the materials and learn about what tech specifically they were using and eventually figure out exactly what they were looking at, which provides us with important intelligence on to why are the Chinese interested in these specific things. So yeah, they did exactly what they should have done. They didn't need to explain it on Twitter to Ted Cruz. Though. And that's what kind of bothered me about it. I was like, how do you know that they don't actually have a plan behind this? And that maybe it's not in the best interest of national security to share it with you on Twitter. Grow the fuck up. You're a member of Congress and you're making these ridiculous, first of all, impossible calls to do something that A, would endanger an unknown, who knows how many people, depending on where it was, they expected to shoot it down. B, would 
just destroy any chance we had of recovering important intel from this object and see they might be using it to spy back. We can do that. We have that technology. We can hack technology just as well as anybody else and can get access to whatever the Chinese were using to spy on us. So that's, it's very, I've noticed that on Twitter. It's like people expect you to explain all these national security secrets so that the Twitter person has all the answers. These random people on Twitter. I've been dealing with that with the Matt Gates story. They're like, who is the source? I was like, they clearly don't want to be named. It's like, if I name that person online to show brad 7296 because he's not satisfied with sources in the office giving intel that only sources in the office could have i would be endangering that person and destroying my reputation as someone who protects their sources given my very painful experience of how far i was willing to go to protect those sources that's not something i would ever do but brad 9276-1969 needs to know Otherwise, it's all not real. And it's, right. it's like the swarming, only just a moron. I tell all those morons on Twitter when they start that. I was like, I don't take homework assignments from Twitter. Yeah. I you want to know more? I'm like, you if you're going to be stupid, it's like you're entitled to be stupid on Twitter, but you're not entitled to do it on my feed. Bye. I have no patience with these people. Oh, she blocked me. I was like, oh, God, I blocked like 10,000 people. Do you want a badge? Here, I'll give you a fuck you badge. There you go. Yeah, you can there have you go. It. Oh my God. Yeah. This has been so disappointing, but I think ultimately, and I think this is probably why this is your disinformation story of the week and how it ties in is that these politicians are using this as a partisan attack on the Biden administration yes. and they don't care what the truth is or what the alternative would be. They're not on team USA right now. Correct. They are on team Republican dickhead. And they're using this Chinese spy balloon thing to take pot shots at Biden. And I think that it's really, like you're saying, it's disappointing, but it's really just an awful move, right? Like it could have just been something, hey, because it's now it's United States versus China, right? Like when do we come back on Team USA? Yeah. And of course, this was now nobody is talking about it. So how it made that arc from it, it came and it went within five days because the government and the military came out and said there were three Chinese spy balloons that were that crossed the entire United States under Donald Trump's administration. And one they didn't even care about. And the other two, they just decided not to intervene with. Right. And so now all the conservatives are like, shit, we can't talk about Shh, shut up about the balloon. I was like, you guys would not shut up about the balloon for three whole days. And now that it turns out that your guy has had three spy balloons cross the entire United States from west to east and did nothing about it. You don't want to talk about the fucking balloon. Frankly, I would have preferred never to talk about this balloon. It is ridiculous. I think some of the commentary on it exhibits some of the lowest life forms that Americans have. I think it was a national security risk to put this all out there on the public display. I'm sure China was thrilled with how the United States was tearing apart Biden for his inaction over all that time, because that's the only group that behavior can possibly benefit is China. And so it's, you would see a lot of the same Russian disinformation networks and Chinese disinformation networks pop up promoting why isn't Biden shooting down the balloon and conservatives actually retweeted some of these known disinformation agents, I guess probably without thinking about it, who knows, maybe they do know exactly what they are, 
but a lot of Russian propaganda managed to infiltrate Twitter talking about the fucking balloon. The balloon is, it's done, it's gone, we got it, it's fine. But it really is reflective of how frenzied, I think that is maybe the more important word, people became over something with limited information. But the information that was available, either too restricted to make a decision or a kind of really understanding or informed comment about it or false, like just shoot it. I think at one point it was a elevation was about, sorry, keep mixing those up. Elevation and altitude are not the same thing, but it's la we're going to cut that. Side note, everyone, we had to make an awkward cut because I myself mixed up elevation and altitude, which are not the same thing. But at one point, the balloon was at an altitude, I think, of 70,000 feet even. Mm -hmm. So this is, it's ridiculous. It was really ridiculous. It was embarrassing for the United States. So that's why it gets our misinformation story of the week. And I want to throw in a little bit on that too. And keep in mind, let me caveat this by saying uh, my doctorate's in Asia Pacific studies. <laughs> so I have, a, I have an undergraduate and a master's degree in international relations. I studied in Asia for my graduate programs. Okay. So I'm in a previous iteration of my life before I moved to Southwest Florida, I was an East Asia expert, done a lot of research, worked a lot with governments, local governments, national governments in East and Southeast Asia, specifically with China. Okay. I lived in Taiwan. <laughs> Let me also say that, right? Lived in Taiwan, had close relationships with government officials in Taiwan, protested com communism in Taiwan. Okay. So let me say this about China. Okay. Just, and know that it's coming from expertise. expertise okay. Yes. Not just, Hey, let me shoot down the balloon. Right before this happened. And it was very bizarre to me, but my former opponent, Byron Donalds, along with a handful of other folks in Congress had co-sponsored a bill to normalize relations with Taiwan right? Yes. And that would be a direct affront, direct provocation to China. In fact, I think the bill is like the rejection of the one China policy, right? And there's also been military activities in the region. The United States also just inked a deal to expand military presence in Philippines, in the Philippines, where I did my doctoral work, by the way, in case anybody wants to know. They had closed down all their bases and now they're looking at opening it up because the level of tension and aggression on the part of China is very high. So there's, for me, this is all coming and becoming very murky. So why would anyone in the United States even do something like propose normalized trade, normalized diplomatic relations with Taiwan, unless it is part of this Maybe they're looking for a fight. Maybe they want to provoke China. I'm not entirely sure. Have you heard anything about this stuff? So I have to ask, and I might be, because I am I have the opportunity to ask an expert, which is what you should really try to do if you feel like your knowledge isn't firm enough on the basis. Why would recognizing Taiwan as an independent country, is that not the right thing to do? Yeah, so it's not the right thing to do only because China claims that it's part of its country. It's known but as don't the, the Taiwanese province. not want to be part of that country? Yes and no. It's split actually among the population there. There's a population about 24 million, I believe. It's pretty dense. It's one of the densely, most densely populated areas in the world. But it was, it's really politically tied. It goes way back and it goes back to the Chinese Communist Revolution and the short version is Mao took the mainland, Chiang Kai-shek took and was a democratic market-oriented country, society, fled to Taiwan, 
and then took basically all the money and the resources and the historic artifacts to Taiwan. And the United States and the Western countries recognized Taiwan until 1979. And then they realized like, oh, there's only 20 million people there and like almost a billion on the mainland. So that's when the one China policy came about and the formal relationship moved from Taipei to Beijing. And you see this play out in different international realms. If you've seen the Olympics, right? There's China and then there's Chinese Taipei. And that's a remnant of this kind of thing. I lived, by the way, and I don't know if you even know this, I lived in Taiwan during SARS, by the way, SARS-1. Oh, wow. So the WHO also does not recognize Taiwan as, as, independent as an independent country. And so they don't give information in because Beijing controls it. So it ends up being this really complicated thing. And that's why the it's a strategic ambiguity is what it's called. So the United States has has laws that say that we're going to support Taiwan. We have friendly business relations with Taiwan, but we don't recognize them as an independent country. We recognize Beijing as a, as the head of state for China and everything else is just dancing around and they like it that way. It's very, the way that the culture kind of works is like, as long as nobody says that Taiwan is a country, we're totally cool. But Taiwan, in fact, is a de facto country. It's got its own president. It's got its own legislature. It's got its own passport, its own currency, and they're very powerful. And even it within- It sounds the like they have the entitlement, if they so choose, to detach from China. They could, but they know that China would attack them. So, so it's the choice between, do we say we're our own country or do we just know that we are and we just go about our business? I don't know. I, that, I'm, I know this. I always feel icky anytime I'm on the side of something conservatives are doing. <laughs> but I feel like the threat of tyranny is not sufficient to deny independence to an entire nation. Or That's the threat of war. Yeah. Saying, look, you can either ultimately be our subjects. And if we decide to do some very bad things, you have no choice. Or you can be independent and we'll destroy you either way. That's That does not seem like a winnable situation for the people there. It doesn't seem like something that the United States should support. Maybe strategic ambiguity is the appropriate approach for the Americans. And as a social justice warrior type anti-Chinese communism type person that I am, I don't think they have a right to do that. But that doesn't change, I guess, the reality. So it's I could talk myself in circles from being for it and being against it because what I just did to myself sure. there, I'm like, wait, but this and then that. But I think that if there was a humanitarian crisis occurring on behalf of China in Taiwan, that they should demand their independence and that countries should support them in that pursuit. And they do. And this is where it's like this, keep in mind, this has been going on 45 years, right? The strategic ambiguity yeah. has worked in the geopolitical sense. The United States has still been allies with Taiwan. We train them. We sell weapons to them every year. We have a legal obligation to come to their defense. The people in Taiwan themselves are very split on reunification is what they call it. Yeah. And it's just, they don't, there's very few hawkish people that are like, yeah, we want independence. Very slim because everybody realizes they can just leave us alone. It's the semantic thing. They still have, there's family in in Taiwan and in mainland China. They have businesses in especially southern China, right? The biggest manufacturers in in, in Taiwan have their factories in mainland China. 
And by the way, do you know what their number one export and where they hold the monopoly on is? No. Semiconductors. What has there been an international shortage of? Semiconductors. Yeah, I remember the story breaking out about semiconductors last fall. So Taiwan, yeah, has basically their that's what they produce. And they they made that decision many decades ago, but they use the rare earth metals and they use the factories in China to produce those. And as we're like in massive deficit around the world in them. So there's a lot of weird things going on. What I will say is to the best of my knowledge, there has not been a request from the Taiwanese government for the United States to recognize them diplomatically. That this not that is we like, would know if there was one behind the scenes though. Yes. Kind of goes back to one of those, maybe the government has some discussions about this that we're not privy to and that's the way it should work. Nancy Pelosi went there, right? And yeah. this was a big deal. She she went there. Beijing was really pissed. But that's see, that's part of the problem, though. Is China is a huge nation, and they wield a lot of power. But it's China has no right to be angry at us for sending our officials to other countries. This is where I get. This is that muscle thing. Like the United States gets angry at itself for sending people to certain countries and other European countries get mad if we do this or we do that. But I really don't like the geopolitical war games that seem to be ever building between us and China. But at the same time, China is a very repressive country where we've severed all trade ties with certain parts of China and the Chinese state because of genocide, ongoing genocide. Trump did that. I love to remind people of this. This is the one thing, and I always point out when people ask me what the difference between Trump and DeSantis is. By all accounts, by people who do not like Trump, when he first learned of what was happening, and I don't want to- Yeah, didn't want to mispronounce it, in that province, yeah, with genocide and children being- brutally murdered he was visibly genuinely upset and disturbed and immediately requested whatever he needed to sign because i'm sure he doesn't know that to sever all trade ties as a punishment he was visibly genuinely moved by knowing those atrocities were occurring DeSantis doesn't have that he does not have an ounce of empathy within him and that is the major da- like damage between the two major difference between the two very damaged people was that Trump can be, he can feel, he is capable of feeling when he, I think Walter Cronkite was there when he first, not, it wasn't Walter Cronkite, Bob Woodard was, I know I was going to say wrong one. I read a tweet about him like today. And so he's in my head because it was about Vietnam. And when he said the famous quote of, if I've lost Walter Cronkite, I've lost America. But um, yeah, it was uh, Woodward that was there when that happened and was like, he was upset. He was disturbed. He was angry. He had all of the feelings that we as normal people would have at seeing that type of thing happen. The Santas would see it and just try to calculate what was most beneficial to him to exploit the situation. He doesn't care if children he would have that. a special session to codify flying migrants out of the state. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's actually what's happening. But yeah, yeah but it was so, Trump who instituted that. And then when Biden renewed it, one of the first things he had to do in office, people, conservatives were trashing him up and down. And I was like, not to mince issues here, but uh, that was a Trump thing that I agreed with, that I think most people agreed was a sound, reasonable reaction to what was happening. And I so, think specifically it was the slave labor. Yes, slave labor camps. camps. Yeah. Yes. And it was awful. And he did the right thing. 
God, Trump did the right thing. Hey, clock is right twice a day. They don't stop clock. Yeah, right. broken clock twice a day. But I, I think it's complicated, and you're right. That's frustrating. And listen, hey, I was I've been studying China and Chinese relations for a very long time since the late 90s. Okay, and I lived there, and I speak Chinese, and I lived in Taiwan. And it's hard to get. Like it's because it seems so much. We are, and this is true socio psychologically as well, that we are much more black and white. Then especially then me, I've people. been told that I'm a like a moral absolutist, and I was like, yeah. I don't care. Or people stop. It was this crazy part is when all this COVID thing happened. I said I had one question and one follow up, and it was when all this stuff was happening. If we do this, are more people going to die than if we didn't do this? And if the answer is yes, we shouldn't do it. That was my standard during COVID and when everything started to hit the fan. As I said, if we do this, are more people going to be sick and die than if we didn't do this? And if that answer is yes, then we should not do it. That is that pure and that simple. So when I look at something like some of the thing, international disputes, I'm like, people are suffering. Do something, do something. But doing something might make more people suffer or different people suffer. And it offsets. Yeah. And so it's for someone like me, who's like, wrong is wrong and wrong should be punished. It's like the hydra. You cut off one head, three pop up. It's like, that's the exact opposite of like Chinese culture. They function on what's called situational ethics. It's one of the reasons why contract law is so complicated there, because as soon as the terms change, to be favorable to one party, the party is expected that it's going to change to that way. Like it's everybody, the right thing to do is what's the right thing for you at that time. And that may change from time to time. And it's very, very tough, especially for people who grew up outside of that culture. Like you just, we have a very different understanding of it and the face thing as well. And a lot of what goes on in international politics between China and Taiwan has to do with face. It's like, how does it look? How does yeah. it feel? How does well, it that's sound? That's true of a lot of diplomatic international relations. Sure. But I think it's very heightened with the US-China and the China-Taiwan thing. And that's why I'm actually so concerned about the bill that's going through Congress, because it seems to be coming out of nowhere. I don't think that there's a huge push in Taiwan, any more so than it usually is any other day, year, time. So yeah. why would there be a group of far-right conservatives, including Byron Donald, trying to push for the normalization of relation? It might be for some of the reasons I just espoused. People don't like it. They think it's wrong. And they think that they can get universal support for a move like that, whereas Democrats have had no action on that front, really no public opinion of it. They're thinking, everybody seems to think popular opinion is that this situation is wrong. And we're the ones stepping up to hold China accountable and free the Taiwanese people without necessarily understanding, as I clearly do not, the total ramifications of what such a move would mean. But it could be that. And strategy-wise, it's very smart for the Republicans because not everybody's going to have a PhD in Eastern Asia. Granted, and this is always important to keep in mind and is the entire purpose of this show, my entire worldview of that situation is informed by popular media. And by that, I mostly mean the press because I don't really do other types of popular media. But yeah, so my entire view of that situation has been informed by a media that we know sometimes is not getting all of the facts. Now, there's plenty of examples about this, like Cuba, media coverage of Cuba is so horribly off and biased 
that it's insane. Like the way that people think people in Cuba live is so detached from the reality for most of those people because our press still thinks it's 19, what was it? Five or whatever was happening at that time. And the same could also be said of Israel and Palestine. American press heavily defends Israeli actions no matter what they are and makes it seem like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a almost equally balanced physical conflict when it's not. The fact of the matter is that the Palestinian death toll versus the Israeli death toll is, we're talking almost a thousand to one. American media does get a lot of these international kind of situations, especially international conflicts, really wrong, off the mark. So recognizing my own limitations in this knowledge is why we have people like Dr. Cindy Banyai who can inform us of things like Eastern Asian politics or people like me who are atmospheric scientists and can inform you about the stratosphere. <laughs> so, right. It's good no, to have those voices. I definitely did grow up with a certain view of Taiwan informed by popular media. That is not what you personally absorbed, observed, not just through your studies, but on the ground physically living there. And it's hard to shake people like me from these ideas of what well, I decided at some point from what I consumed that China is the aggressor and that they are wrong and that it, the situation must end when you speak to someone who actually knows what they're talking about. And it makes yeah. you feel like an idiot. Nobody likes to feel like an idiot. No, it, yeah. And that, but that's how everybody is. And this, this is what I teach with my students about systems thinking. We all have these things. They're all of us, whether we are PhDs or study or just hobbyists. There's the things that we like and the things that we know about. And then there's the other stuff. And a lot of that, we have not taken a lot of time to think in depth about. And we let people who are third parties inform our entire opinions. If I actually looking introspective said, how do I even know what I know? about that conflict and how do you know it literally goes entirely to newspapers that's it i don't watch tv news so i don't even watch myself when i'm on tv news so it's it's, i don't do it so everything that i've read like in the new york times mostly because that's what i read younger or usa today because it was available in the town i grew up in my entire opinion on that situation arose from those articles which is a narrow ass view of the world think about it there's other things too like television shows, movies, those portray. So even if you're not consuming news type of media or haven't, you're making, you're building heuristics of different people, different situations based on what you may have just seen a long time ago. And this is where we talk about implicit bias and things like that, how things just get stuck in your brain. And I always challenge everybody to think about that. How do you know what you know? And does it serve your purpose? And systems yeah. thinking, we call that checking your assumptions, right? And that yeah. just means, is it really that, is that what you want to think? Is that what you want to, in it, by being flexible, when you get new information, you're more likely to process it and be able to intake the new good information instead of just put up a wall with the old bad information. Yeah. And it's not easy to challenge assertions that you've had your whole life. Like, Even I still right now feel a pull like, no, it's wrong though. Even though I'm sitting here talking to an expert, like seriously, ask yourself how you know what you know about the Chinese and Taiwan conflict. And then when you're like, oh, I know a Chinese guy once who said something. And if that's the extent of your knowledge, that's a problem. Like that too. And I'm sure you would be anybody who had questions about this, as I would be about the stratosphere, which, by the way, as a reminder, most definitely is 
in the atmosphere for that one singular troll. But yeah, these are important conversations to break down. I still feel for the people of Taiwan, but I also feel for the people of China. And I think that's another thing that we have to make sure too. We're talking about political powers versus the people of a nation and the people who are making the choices about whether or not this leads to some kind of armed aggression or war are not the people who live in that country most of the time. They're the people at the top. And you can sympathize with the human rights violations and also recognize that you're not well informed enough on the geopolitical aspects of things to have a strong opinion or certainly not to challenge a person who does have that expertise in a belligerent type way. Yeah. Yeah. And the point about it being people is absolutely correct. And I've met, I've spent a lot of time in the mainland and I've met a lot of people. I met a lot of people that are part of the Chinese Communist Party. And it's just how you get things done. It's, and it's, you can't, they do not have the luxury that we have of being able to check our assumptions and being able to pivot on our thoughts. It is a matter of life or death. It is a matter of success or impoverishment, whether or not they believe what the government tells them. And it's very different than here. And those Unless folks are the Florida. ones that have to live with consequences. <laughs> we may find out, yeah, here in Florida. That's true. But it is yeah. here. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I look at things and I say, hey, this is looking a heck of a lot more like some of the communist countries I, I've researched in. So yeah, it's very disturbing, which should lead us to our end point, our Florida point. We've covered our misinfo stories. We got this great insight by an expert on the China and Taiwan issue and Byron Donald's just loads of fun all the time. So there still will be time when you listen or watch this episode to contact the Florida Athletic Association. On February 26th, which is 20 days away, so we have less than three weeks, they will be making a final determination on whether or not to mandate reporting of teenage girls' menstrual cycles in order to participate in middle and high school athletics at schools. So this was authorized by, of course, DeSantis's administration, his education secretary, and all these other people, and as part of this push to not allow the maybe five trans athletes that play sports in the entire state of Florida to be able to right. do, which is not okay to begin with, but is also having this effect of violating the privacy and rights of young girls across the state. Millions, millions. <laughs> yes. So as it stands right now, because you're probably going to get, if you tweet about this, a stock troll response from the bot army that 41 states or 23 states or whatever they're saying now have this form. That is correct. But we would be the only state in the country to require the menstrual cycle reporting. So we would require it, whereas now it's optional. And in every other state, it's optional. And additionally, allow that information to be shared across departments and agencies. Mm -hmm. That seems like a screaming HIPAA FERPA violation. And it is. The way that mm -hmm. they're getting through it is they would have to also sign a release to share their medical information voluntarily with those agencies. So basically, if you didn't want to report your your period to the government, you would have to not play sports. It's that simple. And if you don't sign the waiver to release your medical information across different state departments, then you don't get to play sports. And that's abhorrent. And all this talk about protecting children from predatory individuals, we need to protect our girls from Ron DeSantis. This is his administration's agenda. And they're victimizing millions of girls and it's not right. I've posted on my timeline and we can add it to the end of this video, the contact information. You can reach out mm -hmm. to the Florida Athletic Association directly. 
through phone, through letter writing, obviously email would be the fastest way and share your concerns about this because teenage girls don't have to report jack shit about their periods to the government. And the government has no right to share that information across departments and agencies. One of the very scary slippery slopes that a lot of women have raised concerns about is that if you miss a period, the government's not going to know that you're pregnant and how many you've missed. And if you're cracking down on, let's say things like abortion, then you're going to fall victim to a whole nother thing. And we have to protect the girls. We're talking, they do it under the guise of protecting women's sports. We're protecting right. the Just girls. bullshit. It's been horseshit yes, from day bullshit. one. It's all bullshit. And with so many people around Ron DeSantis involved with sex trafficking minors, Matt Gates, Kent Sturman, all of these other people, he has no moral authority on the subject whatsoever. And if it comes down to the women of Florida standing up and the mothers, sisters, daughters, whatever, every single one of us, and hopefully the fathers and the brothers saying, no, this is wrong. And actually reaching out to these people, it takes two minutes to send an email saying, I do not support this. Please do not approve this. Then that's what we have to do. We got to protect the girls. So please take a few minutes to do that. Reach out to them directly, share your concerns. Hopefully it will sway someone. But I will post all that public information at the end of this video. And it's on, I'm going to pin it to my Twitter. So yep. you'll be able to see that until the vote is final. And we'll share that on Big Mouth Media and across other platforms. And we encourage you to share it as well. Yep. Oh, and if we had the so Democratic Party in Florida, they would be leading this charge in this communications effort. But since we do not, I guess I've de facto once again had to take up the role of being the person who deals with this shit. And then the in 19 days... Life. 19 days is the vote for the party chair. So, yeah. And we don't want to talk 20 about days that. is when they finally make this decision on this vote. So, I, of course, do not have a vote in the new FDP chair. I'm very concerned about some of the people who do. One of them, when I contacted to share my support for Carolina, went on a very sexist and misogynistic tirade, told me to show me some respect, young lady. Which, I'm sorry, if we were in person, I would have smacked the shit out of this guy for talking to me that kind of way. But this is the people we got to deal with. And so hopefully they'll do the right thing and they'll vote in a progressive who's willing to basically sacrifice the next two years of their life to a losing effort just to try to get us on track for a longer term plan. But I don't have a lot of hope. I would be happy if they would just get somebody there who wouldn't take Russian money. <laughs> that would be great. I've obviously already endorsed Carolina. She was the head of the Florida Progressive Caucus. One of the few people who was willing to publicly condemn the DeSantis Democrats, who have since multiple times been outed as participating in the DeSantis troll army online, which I've told everybody about for years. So now that the Daily Beast has covered it, it's true. But before it was just me. Whatever, that's how things work. But she was the only You're one. on the leading edge. I know, right? <laughs> That's crazy now. Everybody thinks the press is fake, but then when somebody says something that the press doesn't want to cover, it's not real because the press hasn't covered it. So it's a very bizarre circle that they've gotten themselves into, but uh, we can do better. Florida, can we're, do we're keeping it real here on Misinformational <laughs> with Rebecca Jones. That's for sure. And I've yeah. been the co-host, Dr. Cindy Banier. And final word from Re Rebecca Jones herself. I'm going to pull a Jerry Springer. Take care of yourselves and each other. Oh, heart Jerry Springer. And okay. spay and neuter your pets. <laughs> <laughs>
see you next time. And don't forget to follow Big Mouth Media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out our YouTube channel where you'll catch the amazing teasers for all of our upcoming shows. And subscribe. That is how you are going to help keep independent media like Big Mouth Media open and available. And we are unabashedly progressive. So we are totally out there. We say, hey, we're progressive. And so you know you're going to be getting progressive commentary. We don't commentary. We don't pretend to be non-opinion based, but we're sharing the highest quality information with you that we can and we are proud to do. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this informational with Rebecca Jones, brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com and check out all the great shows and articles on bigmouthmediafl.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.